Well, you'll find your sermon text this morning on pages 8 and 9 of your handout. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you and you want to use a Bible, you can also find it on page 16 of the Blue Pew Bibles in front of you. Once you've had it, let's, uh, let's clutch our Bibles together and ask the Lord's help in prayer. Oh, Father God, we come to you with with hearts warm this morning, having sung of of the gospel and of the blood that your son shed for us. Uh, Oh, we just ask, would you you take us even higher from here? Would you point us to the glories of of your son, of the true lamb that was offered for us on the cross? And let us leave here this morning bursting with worship to him. We ask that you would do this uh, even, even as we read this powerful story together that only a God like you could write. Uh, and as I do my best to proclaim it, would you, would you be near to me and help me, Father? Uh, your message does not need to be proclaimed with unction and power, but it deserves to be proclaimed with unction and power. So I ask that you would give to me that as I, as I declare it this morning. And likewise, your message does not need anyone to pay attention to it and listen to it, but it sure deserves that. And so would you help us to keep our eyes fixed on what you're telling us through this text and to hear and to receive and to walk ready to worship you and ready to obey. Father, would you do these things in our hearts through the power of your spirit and in the name of your son. We ask this in his name. Amen. So I was reading up this week on a story that I've told some of you, and it dawned on me, I wonder how many of you know, would you just raise your hand if you know the story of how Calvary Baptist was founded, if you could name the guy who founded it, and you know the story of the guy who founded it, just raise your hand with me. I wondered how many it would be. I did not think it would be zero. Wow, okay, here we go. Okay, here's the story, you ready? Okay, so in 1962, there's a man named F.S. Butler, and his work transferred him up to Indianapolis. So he moved up here. Uh, He lived somewhere down here on the south side, probably in Greenwood. And at that time, it was a rural area out here. This was the countryside of Indianapolis. And there was not a church that had the doctrinal convictions that he was looking for, particularly not a Southern Baptist church here. Uh, There were only a small handful of churches. There are 89 even, no, 98 evangelical churches here now. Greenville, only a few then. And he looked around and he said, well, you know what? I'm going to start one. And so he gathered up some friends and workmates together, uh, got a kindergarten classroom, asked the school district, hey, can I, can I meet with these people in this kindergarten classroom? We'd love to have a church service. And was able to gather 23 people together on their very first Sunday. And they gave an offering to missions and they paid the pastor $15 to preach to them that Sunday. That, that may be the only week that that man preached to them, wherever he was. Uh, but By the end of the next year, that was December of 62, that means we're coming up on our 60th anniversary, by the way, Uh, that was December of 62. By December of 63, we had already gathered enough people and saved enough money to buy a church building, which I've never heard of a church doing that that quickly, but the church was already growing like that, giving greatly financially, we're able to buy what was then an old church of Christ and is now the Catholic church that's down there downtown. I can't think of the name of it over there in the old district. And within a decade, we bought this property here with the dream of building all of this here. And the rest is history with all of its ups and downs, all of its great moments where God visited visited us in power, all of, all of the times where we let him down and did some things we shouldn't have done, all the ups, all the downs, all of that flows from there. And it really all started with one man who just looked around and said, we need, a, we need another church here. Which makes you wonder, what if, all right? 
What if Reverend Butler's employer had transferred him to Cincinnati instead of Indianapolis? We wouldn't know each other, would we? Some of you wouldn't have met your spouses that you met here if God hadn't worked through one man and bringing him here. Now, we depend on God for everything that we have. Sometimes he brings us a whole lot of things through one person and lets it hinge on one person like that or lets it hinge on one event like that. I wonder if you have an event like that in your life that so much of your story hinges on this one fateful moment you didn't realize. For me, uh, I, my friend asked me to play guitar in his wedding when I was in my 20s. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll drive down to Mississippi and play guitar in your wedding. And I met this beautiful woman named Emily. And the rest is history, right? If I hadn't gone and played guitar in my friend's wedding, I wouldn't have met Emily. And God has brought us four children since then and done so much. It all hinged on me getting in the car and driving down with a friend to Mississippi to play guitar in a wedding. And I wonder if in your story you can identify a few points that like, yeah, if that one small thing hadn't gone that way, so much of my story would be different. And would any of this stuff that I have now even be here? Well, Israel's story was that way too. And when they read these stories we're reading these days in Genesis about their patriarchs, they called them, their fathers, uh, so much of it hinged on what happened to these men. Uh, In the nation of ancient Israel, every last one of them was a descendant of Isaac, who we are reading about now. And so they would look back on the events that happened in Isaac's life and in Jacob's life and in Abraham before him, and it was very clear since we're all their descendants, you know, if this hadn't happened that way, you know, we all wouldn't really be here. Uh, As we read the story we're about to read, there's a clear sense of if something happens to Isaac, Our one ancestor that we all share, none of this is here, right? We all hinge on him and his fate and what happens to them. That's an important lens to read this story through as we go into it today. As our story very much depends on Reverend Butler, Israel's story very much depended on Isaac and on what happened to him since they all sprang from him eventually. We read today one of the most harrowing stories in the whole Bible. A story that people who don't even believe the Bible is the word of God still often say is probably the peak of ancient literature. A story greater than Homer and the Odyssey and all of the others we read about the sacrifice of Isaac this week and God willing next week as well. You'll find it in Genesis 22 in your Bibles. You'll also find it in your handout there. Uh, We will read, the whole chapter is in your handout. We will only read to verse 14 though. After these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and then he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, he lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both went on, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. 
And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they both went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. The words of the Lord. Through that powerful story this morning, the Lord means to point our hearts to the lamb that he provided for us in Jesus Christ. And my prayer for myself this whole week and for you guys as we walk through this story together is that every last one of us, our hearts would just burst with praise at this lamb that was provided for us and the God in heaven who provided our Lord Jesus Christ for us. Now, there are two ways that one can read this story, and people tend to gravitate toward one of two ways of looking at it, and both ways are perfectly valid. A lot of people will read this as a story of Abraham being tested and passing the test, right? He's, he, at the very beginning, after these things, God tested Abraham, right? The whole thing has this sense of, is he going to do it? And you read it with, ooh, could I do it if, if I were called to do that? And that's kind of the tension in the story. And along the way, we learn a lot of lessons about what it's like to have your faith tested. And if you're a Christian, you probably know what it's like to have your faith tested. And you can learn a lot about that from Abraham's experience there. That's a valid way of looking at this story. And there's another way to look at it too. There's a lot of emphasis in the way the author writes it on God providing a lamb. You probably saw that there in the story. It will be provided. God will provide a lamb. There was a ram. God did provide. And on the mountain of the Lord one day it will be provided. The New Testament authors kind of they draw both of those points out of it. At times they talk about Abraham passing the test and at times they talk about the lamb of God that was provided. And so the way that we're going to handle that here together is that we're going to look at this story two weeks in a row, this week emphasizing God's provision of a lamb and what that means for us today. And then next week we'll look at it again, emphasizing the tests that Abraham went through and what that can teach us when our faith is tested. So that's what to expect next week. This week we emphasize God's provision of a lamb. The tension begins... In verse 2, when God speaks to Abraham and tells him to take his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loves, and offer him as a burnt offering. Now, if you read that, that's going to be significant to any of us, right? Just because it's his son, right? Offer your son as a burnt offering. You have my attention, right? That's big. 
To an ancient Hebrew reader, that would have been an even bigger deal for some other reasons, too. Uh, One of them is just who it is that's being offered. It is Isaac, the son of the promise, as I said earlier, their ancestor, right? So if something happens to Isaac before he produces an heir, to them it's like we wouldn't even be here, right? So this is their destiny wrapped up in him. Sort of like if I told you a story, and I'm making this up, but if I told you a story of while Reverend Butler was moving up to Indianapolis and he almost got in a head-on collision with a semi-truck and we're all thinking, oh man, if he hadn't made it up here to Indy, none of this would have happened, right? That's that kind of story for them to say, man, if something happens to Isaac, that's, that's all of us. Their hearts are wrapped up in that tension in Isaac's destiny here. It would have been significant to them for another reason as well, a word that you might have missed there, a a burnt offering in verse two. Offer him as a burnt offering. To them, that was one of many offerings that were prescribed in the first chapters of Leviticus. This one, chapter one of Leviticus, where an animal is offered in the place of a worshiper to pay for the worshiper's sin. The animal gives its life and is burned completely. And then the person who offered it, their sin is paid for. Your sin transferred to it, it dies and is burned and your sin is paid for. So they would see some of this symbolism and these overtones of, oh, there needs to be a substitute. There's payment for sins going on here. Though at this point in the story, it might not be all that clear through that image of a burnt offering. This is emphasized again in verse 7 when Isaac starts to figure out what's going on. Uh, It looks an awful lot like he's putting the pieces together and saying, wait a minute, Dad, Uh, we we have the wood for the burnt offering, we have the the fire, but, but where's the lamb, right? Now, this could just be a child asking innocently, hey, did we forget the lamb? Uh, But I think that there is a hint here that Isaac is figuring it out and he's asking dad, hey, uh, what's going to happen when we get to the top of this mountain? And the hint we get there is that Isaac does not mention the knife. The knife is mentioned before. There's wood, fire, and a knife brought. Isaac brings it up and he says, there's the wood and there's the fire and... Just kind of skips over that. Now, Dad, where's the lamb, right? Because the knife is going to be the thing that he is most afraid of. So, Dad, what's going to happen when we get to the end of this walk? What's going to happen at the top of this hill? I have some questions. What's going on? And Abraham's answer is very simply, God, God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. We start to see the emphasis coming out. Oh, there would be a lamb provided. That's going to be the resolution to the story, Abraham's confidence and faith in this. In verses 9 and 10, they get to the top of the mountain. Abraham builds the altar and he lays the wood on the altar and then he binds his son and then he gets the knife out and he is ready to offer his son up. But an angel calls out at the last minute to him and calls the whole thing off. Don't lay your hand on him. We know now you fear God. You've shown it. You didn't withhold your only son. And then he provides a ram, right? Praise God for the ram. At that point in the story, Israel is thinking, praise God for that ram, right? If God hadn't provided that ram, none of us would be here. That thing, it wasn't just standing in for Isaac, it was standing in for all of us, right? This whole nation wouldn't be here. That's what they are thinking, and they are celebrating in that moment. And this is confirmed later in verse 14 when Abraham names that mountain 
the Lord will provide. And then says, as it says is still said today on the mountain of God, it will be, it shall be provided even in the future. So we end with this sense that God has provided a ram in the place of Israel. So that's why Israel is here. They owe their existence to that ram. And also a promise that on this mountain of God, he's going to provide a lamb for the people of God. There's another detail in here. Now, Genesis is, has some very, uh, very nuanced storytelling in it. And I just want to point out one more detail that doesn't come through in the English that a Hebrew reader would have seen. Uh, this word for provide is the same word in Hebrew as the word see. And if it helps, you could think of it as, as see to it, right? The Lord will see to the ram. The Lord will see to it on this mountain. The Lord will see to it. That's important because that word for see is used in a few other places in the story as well. Uh, in verse 4, Abraham looked and saw the mountain far off in the distance. That's not really that important of a detail, but we get that word see whispered to us again. And then later, when the story is resolved, Abraham looks and behold, he sees a ram. All right, so we get this whispering of the same word for provide, like Abraham sees, the Lord will see to it, the Lord will see to it. He sees, he will see to it. All this little whispering to tie it together and emphasize just a little bit more, it's a big deal that God saw to that lamb. It's a big deal that God provided that lamb. So for Israel... Whatever they have, at whatever point in their history they're reading this story, there's a very strong sense here. We have all this because God provided that lamb. So there they are, say, a few centuries later, and the sacrificial system is going, and they're, they're offering up lambs and rams through the sacrificial system, some guilt offerings, some burnt offerings. The rams were usually for the, burnt, or, sorry, for the guilt offering. Uh, they're, they're seeing these animals die to, to pay for their sins, it says very explicitly. And they've got this story in their minds that we're all here and we're all able to do this because God provided a substitute for, for all of us. And this hope that maybe one day we don't have to keep doing this sacrifice the best animals in our herd thing, perhaps one day the Lord will provide again for us on that same mountain. Everything they've got They've got because God provided a lamb and they're looking forward to a day when he, when he does it again even more powerfully. Centuries later, they're under King Solomon and they are, oh man, they're drinking the wine and eating the fat of the land. Everything, it's the golden age of Israel. It said everybody sat under his own fig tree, which is the equivalent of like everyone bought a new F-150 every two years. You know, everybody had everything they wanted and they all sat in ease and relaxed and what a good life everyone in the kingdom had. But they would look back and read the story and have all of this wonderful kingdom surrounding them and they would say, we wouldn't have any of this if God hadn't provided a lamb. None of these promises would have come true if God hadn't provided a lamb. And so, praise God for the lamb. Huh, and I wonder what it means when it says on the mountain of God, it will be provided. That's, hmm, you know, what's going to happen one day? They might wonder. And centuries later, 
God had promised that if they turned away from him uh, through worshiping idols and through forsaking his ways, uh, that he would also reject them and they would lose everything. And that's exactly what they do. They, they totally ruin it with their idolatry and with their wickedness and their injustice. And so the kingdom is in shambles. They get kicked out of their land. Everything is broken. They would be looking around all of the rubble around them of their own making, but they would still have hope because there's still that sentence in that story about Isaac. It will be provided. The Lord will provide a lamb. So that ram for them, that substitute that came in for Isaac at the last minute meant for them forgiveness of sins offered for the whole people. It meant for them every promise they are receiving, they have because God provided that substitute. And it meant for them when they had ruined everything, they still had hope in God. They could still come back to him because God provided a lamb. So praise God for the lamb. That's what they would be saying. Praise God for the lamb. That was all to prepare them for the true lamb of God who was coming into the world. Centuries after that exile, uh, they would be occupied by Rome and still really not flourishing and not living under a son of David like they wanted to as king. And this prophet would rise up, John the Baptist, and he would begin preaching and proclaiming Israel's sins to them. And they didn't respond to this by rejecting him and, ah, quit harping on us. No, they responded by being convicted and they repented and they confessed their sins before God. They were even baptized as a sign of their repentance for their sins. And all of this was to prepare the way for someone who was coming, right? So now they're they're ready. They've confessed their sins. They repent. And then one day, this same John the Baptist sees one face in his crowd and he looks at that face and even points at that man and shouts. And he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All those people would look and they would see the face of Jesus Christ, the one that we're gathered here to worship today. And as, as was said to Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love. God says of this Jesus, this is my son, my only son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And as Abraham is told, you've shown that you fear God. You fear God so much that you didn't withhold your only son from him. And God says in John three sixteen that he loved the world so much that he gave his only son to us. As, as the wood was placed upon Isaac, Abraham placing the wood upon which his son would be slaughtered and destroyed right on his back so he could carry it up the hill. Our God, our Father, placed the cross right upon his son Jesus Christ to be carried up that hill so that at the top he could be slaughtered on it as Abraham took his son and laid him on the wood and bound him to it to prepare him as a sacrifice. Our father took his son and had him fastened to a cross so that he could be sacrificed in our place for our sin. And there's one really big difference between these two stories. When it came time for God the father to offer up his son as a sacrifice, no one shouted, stop. What, what Abraham was willing to do in offering his son, God the Father did 
and follow through out of love for us. He slaughtered his own son on the cross in our place as an offering for the forgiveness of sins. So praise God for the lamb, right? Praise God for Jesus Christ. That's what it means when the Spirit says God will provide a lamb and on the mountain of God it will be provided. This was meant to help them look forward and help us look back on the day when very probably on the very same mountain it was provided. God provided for us in Jesus Christ. That means at least three things for you and I every day. And in in the rest of our time here this morning, I just want to go through three things that that we can take from that at home with us every day. The first one for everybody, the last two just for people who follow Jesus, just for Christians. The first one, number one, you can become one of the people of God because God provided a lamb. That is the reason that God will welcome anyone who comes back to him, back into his arms, because he provided a lamb. I started John 3.16 earlier. God, God loved the world that he gave his only son in the same way that Abraham feared God and gave his only son. God loved the world and he gave his only son. And, and to finish it, what it says is so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So the natural course of humanity, where we are headed if God doesn't intervene, is we all perish, right? Much like Isaac's trip up the mountain, how does it end? It ends with him dying, with him being burned, right? Perishing forever. He says those that believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so the the way that you can become one of God's people, not perish but have everlasting life, is by believing in this Jesus Christ, this Lamb of God who was offered up in our place. God made man and then sacrificed as an offering for sins. I think that there are probably a lot of people in Greenwood who at least should be able to relate to Isaac when he kind of stops and figures it out. You know that moment, Father, here's the wood, here's the fire, but where's the lamb? Uh, There are many people in Greenwood who I think are a step away from being exactly where Isaac is. And here's what I mean. Uh, I said earlier, there are 98 evangelical churches here in Greenwood. That's a whole lot uh, of evangelical. I wish the Lord would take half of the churches here and just disperse them over the world where there are not gospel preaching churches. But here there are plenty. And that means there are a lot of people who grew up in church and have a Christian framework for looking at life. They have all the pieces for looking at life in a biblical way. Uh, Many people who believe there is a God in heaven and he's real, so you got that piece, right? And and who believe that uh, there is a heaven and there is a hell and you're you're gonna go to the one that you deserve, right? Many people who believe that and who believe that God's ways are good and he's worthy of our worship, we should be worshiping him and who if you really asked them would say, yeah, I guess I don't really do that. They've got all the pieces here but haven't quite yet added them up as Isaac did in that moment. Isaac kind of took a double take and said, wait a minute, we got wood and we got fire and what's gonna happen at the end of this walk because we don't have a lamb? And I wonder if there's anybody here today who could say, yeah, I've got all the pieces. I believe in God and I believe in heaven and in hell. I believe good people go to heaven. I believe bad people go to hell. And I believe, I suppose, that I'm a bad person. And oh, wait a minute, there's the fire and there's the wood. And where's, 
where's the, like, there's a missing piece here. What, God, what is going to happen to me at the end of this walk? What, sounds like at the end of this walk, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna be burned. Wait a minute. I just, oh, pray there's somebody here that this is clicking for right now. Wait a minute, this adds up to be bad for me. And I wanna give you the same answer that Abraham gave to his son. God will provide a lamb. The lamb that God provided for you is Jesus Christ. You, you need a substitute to stand in your place and pay for your sin. So that at the end of all this, instead of perishing, instead of dying and burning like Isaac did, you can have eternal life with Jesus Christ forever. How can you have that? You can have that because God provided a lamb. And what you have to do and what I call you to do is, is trust that lamb, trust that Jesus Christ. He's the one you gotta look to. He's the one who stood in your place. He's the one who's worthy of your faith and your trust. So I call you place your trust in that lamb. That's the first thing it means for us. You can become one of the people of God because he provided a lamb. Second and third are just for Christians, blessings that special Christians, special blessings that Christians get because God provided a lamb. Second, every Christian promise and blessing that you have, you have because God provided a lamb. What I mean is there are many good blessings that God gives to every person on earth, you know, food and drink and all kinds of wonderful things that he gives to people. There are some things he only gives to his people. So I call them Christian blessings, Christian promises, the spirit of God dwelling in us, our adoption as sons of God, all kinds of wonderful things. And those exclusively Christian blessings that you have, you have them all for one reason. They all hinge on that lamb that God provided for us. Remember for Israel, when they're, when they're drinking the wine and eating the fat of the land, they're thinking, at least they should be thinking, we have all of this because of that one little ram that stood in for Isaac that day. And in the same way, we have all these wonderful blessings in God because, exclusively because of that lamb that he put in our place. Ephesians 1 says that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms through Jesus Christ. And it even names several of them. One of them is adoption, which means that if, if you trust Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, you actually get to call God Father when you pray to him. Jesus teaches us to pray, Father in heaven. Why would he teach us to pray that? Because we're adopted as children of God because of what Jesus did. You wouldn't have that. You wouldn't be able to pray to God as Father and expect an inheritance in his kingdom one day. You wouldn't have any of that if God hadn't provided a lamb for you. So praise God for the lamb. First Peter 1 says that in Jesus, we have been provided with everything we need for life and godliness. That means every last thing you need to live a godly life, you've been given it through Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you'll never sin again. You still will. You still choose to. But it means that when you do, it'll be because you aren't using everything that God gave to you. Another way this is said is freedom from sin. We're not slaves to sin anymore, but God is actually empowering you to do right and he is growing you into a stronger and more mature Christian and giving you strength to fight against temptation and ways out of temptation and guidance in his words so that you can grow in holiness and eventually you start looking back like some of you are and you're saying, man, I'm a really different person than I was 10 years ago and some of you 40, 50, 60 years ago have changed so much. You look back and you thank God God for this work that he's done in your life. And the point here is you wouldn't have any of that 
if God hadn't provided a lamb for you. Every one of those blessings comes through the lamb of God that he provided and hinges on Jesus Christ. So praise God for that lamb. If you can look back and you could say, I am less prideful than I used to be. That's, that's God's work in you, and he did that because he provided a lamb for you. If you can look back and say, I used to not live a sexually pure lifestyle, but now I do. God's changed me. You have that blessing. You have that growth. You have that equipping for life and godliness because he provided a lamb for you. There's another way that this hits home for us. All these promises we have, we have through Jesus, through the lamb. Uh, it hits home for us really heavy this week when Within two days this past week, we lost two church members to death. Um, and one of them particularly, now, now for Jim Reed, uh, it was one of those, I talked to his loved ones and they said, you know, it, it's, you know, a lot of times it's more of a relief than it is a grief. And it was, it was like that for him. Lord's taking him home and he's healed now and I'll oh, thank God for that. Um, I think when, when we heard about Deborah, I don't know about you, but my heart just sank and I immediately started thinking of people that I was like, this person does not need to read about this in an email. And so this is just started calling people and telling them about it so they could hear it from somebody's voice because it just hit us so hard. Some of you knew Deborah Abraham. Uh, she was, if you don't know her, uh, she was only in her 60s, but she was living in a long-term care facility because of some difficulties that made it hard for her to care for herself. And she had this wonderful you'd almost call it a childlike love and disposition for anybody who came and visited her. Like if, you know, when you see like a really nice affectionate child and you're like, hey, high five. And, and they're like, hey, you're a total stranger, but high five because you're awesome. You know, they just make you feel so loved and so appreciated. She was like that. If you came to see her, she just loved you, even if you were a perfect stranger. Uh, warmed so many of our hearts and what happened to her was really sudden. Her family said it just came upon her like that. And all of a sudden, the Lord took her home and we're all just reeling in this loss. Meanwhile, there's, there's hope there though, right? She's, she is healed in the presence of Jesus. And just trying to imagine what that looks like right now is the most incredible thing. And the, and the thought of resurrected Deborah Abraham is a pretty awesome thought if you know Deborah. Um, so we have hope when our loved ones die, right? Some of you have lost other loved ones and, and you have hope in the resurrection of the dead. The point we draw from this text is we wouldn't have that if God hadn't provided a lamb for us, right? Every hope we have, every promise we have and we've received, it's all because God provided a lamb. So even as we grieve over Deborah and over Jim as well, we just say, praise God for the lamb. Praise God for providing a lamb for us and giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through him. Praise God for the lamb. That's the second one. The third thing that every Christian has uh, because of, of what we're talking about today is that when you have ruined it, you still have hope and you can still come back to God because he provided a lamb. 
We say this kind of empathizing with Israel, right? A lot of you know the story of Israel and the exile and the whole kingdom is in rubble because they had sinned against God. And they're all looking around at the temple having been shattered and the palace is shattered and Jerusalem is in shambles and they're having to live in a foreign land or under foreign occupation, just living among their own rebel that they created through their sin. And they're having to sing the old blues song, Nobody's Fault But Mine, right? This is all broken and it's our fault. And some of us believers can think of times in our life when that was pretty much the song we were singing. We were standing in our own rubble of a mess that we created, even though we were God's people, still messed up, totally ruined everything. And we're just looking around and we're singing, nobody's fault but mine, right? Just, we, I ruined it, right? This is all my fault. And it's so easy to think, I think it makes sense, honestly, to think, well, if if God gave me all that and then he saved me from my sins and then I went ahead and ruined it anyway, he must be really disappointed with me, right? That's the, that's the common sense way to look at that, isn't it? And so it's so easy to think, oh, I, I probably can't go back to him, right? I've probably really ruined it and I might as well just kind of give up on the whole thing. But that's not the hope that the prophets gave to Israel. They said, no, God will come and he will provide the lamb. You have a hope and a future and you can come back. And he says the same thing to Christians who have made shipwrecks of their faith and Christians who used to be great fiancés and then were a terrible spouse and now have lost everything or Christians who went six months without looking at pornography and then fell back into it again or went three months without having a drink and then fell back into it again or whatever sin it is that you're trying to kick and you were doing so great and it just ruined it and fell back into it. Why, why would God welcome you back? Why do you still have hope? There's a reason that you can still have hope because God provided a lamb for you because that sin is paid for also. One of the hardest things for us to picture is that at the core of God's heart toward us is not disappointment with our sins, but love for us. And it's that way, his love is that yoked and bound to us because he provided a lamb for us. So we praise God for the lamb. Revelation 5 says this of that lamb. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Praise God for the lamb. Yeah. Oh, let's pray.